Now that you guys are seated, real quick, if you would stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word. We're going to be going through the great book of Leviticus today as we continue in our journey through the Torah. Um, and we're going we're to read through uh, Leviticus 16, starting in verse 29. It says this, And it shall be a statue to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. And you shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sins, It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statue forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in the Father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments, and he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people in or of the assembly. And this shall be a statue forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is God's word. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. As I said, we're continuing in our series that we've cleverly called the Torah as we look at the first five books of the Bible, and last week we looked at Exodus before we looked at Genesis, and this week we're going to look at Leviticus. Now, if you were here last, last week, we went through Exodus, but Exodus, as we ended, leaves us with a question. We see from Exodus that salvation comes before relationship. We saw how God saved out of the grips of Pharaoh, his people, and took them through the wilderness, taking them across the ocean um, and through the Red Sea to the other side, saving his people from slavery. So we saw this incredible picture of God saving people for relationship. We see the Red Sea coming before Mount Sinai where Moses goes to meet with God, and it's at the mountaintop that we meet with God. But Israel is a nation that is supposed to be a nation that blesses all nations, and they cannot stay in one place. They have to keep moving, and so God's presence needs to become mobile. But what we see from Genesis to Exodus, from the story of Joseph, who was taken, who was sold into, into, um, from his, his, his brothers and then put into prison for many, many years. And then God, in the mystery of it all, takes him out of prison into leadership. And he appears to be the rescuer that Israel is waiting for. And then we come to the end of the story. And he's not, although he's a great man, he's not the rescuer. We see Moses taking God's people out of the grips of Pharaoh and out of slavery into uh, freedom. But he, we see at the end of Exodus, is not the rescuer Israel is promised and looking for. And so it leaves us, as we read through the Torah, with a question. Who can actually live with God and who can be in his presence? 
Because if Moses can, how can you and me be in his presence? If these men who God raised out of impossible circumstances aren't good enough, then who is? Who can dwell with God? And this is what the book of Leviticus sets out to answer. Who and how will Israel live with a holy God? Now let's be real for a second since we're at church. How many of us have started Leviticus excited and have yet to finish Leviticus? Anyone? Raise hands. Yeah? All right. No. I actually had more of, more of you uh, in the first service. So they're just a more honest service actually. If, um, no, it's a, t- it's a tough book and the struggle is real. But here's my hope today. That Leviticus moves in our minds from a bunch of rules and sacrificial systems and sacrifices to a deeper picture of the work of Jesus and and giving us, sorry, a window into God's heart for you and for me. And in order to do this, the corrupt nature that you and I have been born with needs to be dealt with. A way for sin needs not to just be addressed, but atoned for. And now we see um, in this picture, we've been using this um, every single week now, and there's sort of this literary progression that we see God, the, the Spirit, inspiring the storyteller to write. And what we see is, starting in Genesis, we see uh, the, the people of God separated from blessing. So we see the origin of it. And then in Exodus, we saw redemption, uh, freedom from slavery. And then this week, uh, we're going to see God take his people from distance to presence, or you could say to communion. And in this story of the Torah, we see God is moving his people up the mountain for a purpose, and that is communion. And so, as we said last week, Israel is not the main character of the story. We aren't the main character of the story, but God is the main character of the story. The Torah is shaped by God, led by God to bring Israel in the presence of God. Amen? And you could say that if the mountain is the place where people meet with God, then the Torah is answering the question, who can be on the mountaintop with God? God. And at the center of this book, it's incredible, at the center of Leviticus is Leviticus 16, which we just read, is where we see God making and paving a way for corrupt people to be in the presence of God. And it foreshadowing, and it just, it just blows my mind, foreshadowing that in between history of B.C. and A.D. is what? It's the cross. So in the middle of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement, and in the middle of history is the cross. And what the storyteller of the Torah, who's inspired by God, is saying, is doing, is he's placing the imperfect solution for Israel's sin in a way for them to live near to God, foreshadowing God's perfect plan for salvation. In the middle of our history, God is going to make a way. First people from distance to presence. 
Now, if the book of going back, if the book of Exodus ends with a description of where the Lord was to be worshipped, which we saw was in the tabernacle, then the book of Leviticus gives us the how God will be worshipped. Exodus gives us the where, and Leviticus gives us the how. Now, here's the big idea for today, and here's kind of my hope is, where, is, is really where we're going, is that Leviticus reveals how God takes corrupt people from distance into presence, from outside to inside. And if you were to break apart this book, there's kind of two halves. And what we see is God um, paving a way for access to God. And then once that comes and he, he sets out the system that allows that to happen, the second half is marked with how do we live life with God? And we're going to see what that looks like at the end. Access to God. Have you ever gone somewhere that you wanted access to, but turns out you didn't have it? I grew up in a, in a pretty large church um, back in Arizona, and they would put on these amazing concerts. And as a kid, I grew up going to these amazing concerts, but I was always, always wanted to be, I don't know why, it's just something in me that always wanted to be in the backstage. And then I got to be old enough as a teenager, and they let me volunteer. That was incredible. Some of you are like, that doesn't matter. No, for me, I, wanted, I was the guy. I wanted to be with the band, right? I wanted to be um, in the middle of it all. And so I got, I volunteered, and they gave me this all-access pass, insert the Aladdin song, It's a Whole New World, right? Anyone? Some of you 90s kids, where are you at? All right, I got you. I see you. And that day, everything changed. Because I moved from being an observer to a backstage pass holder, a spectator to a participant, I got to go anywhere I wanted. I had the cool saying on the cool badge, right? And as a high school student, I'm thinking there's no way I'm ever not volunteering again. This is amazing. I met the band. If I told you who they were, you would know who they are. I got free food, anyone? Right? Because when you're observing from a distance, from the outside looking in, not only have you been now, as a all-access pass holder, given access into something, but if you don't have that pass, you don't know what it's like on the inside. You're just a spectator, and this is what God is doing in Leviticus. He's moving through history to give his people an all-access pass to see what it's like on the inside in his presence. See, they've experienced, as we saw in Exodus, his provision and his plan from a distance. But in relationship, you can't know someone or experience someone's love unless you are close to them. They've been spectators, and now God wants to move them to participants. And just like my all-access pass ramped up my experience of what the concert was to me. So our access into God's presence means for you and for me, the fullness of life. Because the Bible says that in the presence, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And that's the goal. 
It's, it's, it, the, the number one goal is first and always, it's God's glory in the Torah. But number two, God wants to bring us into what life was meant to be. And what life is meant to be is to be lived at its fullest with God. But in order to get access, someone needs to pay the way. So how? And because God is holy, what God requires in his presence, then, is holiness. Now, we know Moses has to be in God's presence in Exodus, but we also know in Exodus 33.20, God said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And then as we talked about last week, after the incident with the golden calf, you remember that? In Exodus 32, Israel's future is kind of in the balance right now. And Moses asked God, I don't know what to do with these people. Lord. Show me your glory in Exodus 33. And what we have then in this interaction, in this chapter, is what is called a theophany. And is the number one is God revealing his heart and character to Moses. But we also see God still putting limitations on his interaction with Moses. In Exodus 33, it says this. Uh, you remember Moses is saying, God, let me see your glory. And he said, I, God speaking, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see, my fa- see me and live. And the Lord said, but behold, there is a place by me where I, uh, by me, where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you on a cliff of the rock and, you, and I will cover you with my hand and I will pass by you. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. And then there's this epic scene in Exodus 34, Moses coming down from this interaction and moment with God of seeing his back, not his face. And he comes down to Mount Sinai and it says, Moses did not know that his skin of his face shone, or you could say it was probably glowing because he had been talking with God and Aaron and all the people of Israel saw this glow, Moses' face being shown Um, by his skin, and they were afraid, it says, to come near him. And this is just his back, not his face. So how do you gain access to God? Now, first, the obvious is that on this side of glory, we're never going to see God physically. But the Bible does say that in Matthew 5, 8, that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall do what? See God, right? So what is he saying? What he's saying is that finally, what happens is, is now, because of Jesus, your soul is tuned into glory. You can now see his glory, not passing by you as Moses did in the flesh, but his glory and his beauty of, of his work in your life and in his word 
And what we see in this story is that God requires, in order for you and me, and for, most importantly right now, for the Israelites to be in his presence is life for life. In other words, Exodus 17 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For if for it, it is the blood that makes atonement by life. Why? Because what does sin do? Sin doesn't make us just bad people. Sin makes us dead people, right? Spiritually dead people. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 15, he says, out of your heart, come evil thoughts. In other words, in my heart and in your heart, naturally what comes out is unclean and unfit to go inside or into close proximity to God's presence. So the unclean needs to be clean. In order for God's people to go from the outside into the inside, there needs something that paves the way to allow this all-access pass into God's presence. Now, this idea of sacrifice, as we're going to talk about, is not new to Leviticus. We see it in Genesis, and we see it in Exodus, and it's leading up to this moment in Leviticus. And what Leviticus does is, it not only gives us a foreshadow of what is to come, which we'll get into later, but it also gives us this three-part process of what the people of Israel and the priesthood had to go through. And so you'll see it on the screen. It was the priesthood, purity, and day of atonement. And what the priesthood was is that God appoints and he ordained priests who would go into the dangerous presence of God in the temple. But even in the temple, there was a veil uh, kind of standing in front of the priest who they could not pass. And that was behind there was the Holy of Holies, which was God's presence. And of course, the had to, were held to a higher standard of, of living because they were constantly in the presence of God. And then there was purity, and the Israelites needed to know that as impure and corrupt as they were, they needed to become pure in order to stay or to be in God's presence. And there were sacred things that the Israelites needed to keep. So even after offering is made, Israel needs to live holy as God is holy. And then the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was one year out of, one day out of the year, the priest would take two goats. One goat is offered as a substitute, and this goat takes the punishment of Israel so that the Israelites don't have to. And then the other goat is what is called the scapegoat, right? And the scapegoat is where the priest would put the, his hands on this goat while confessing the sins of Israel. Israel as if he's placing all the sins of Israel on this scapegoat. And then after that process, they would then lead the, uh, the scapegoat out into the wilderness, never to be seen again, as if God is removing Israel's sin. The Day of Atonement makes it possible to do life in God's presence. Leviticus 16.30, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all 
your sins. Why atonement? Because number one, because God is just. Since he's just, he must punish sin. And because it's impossible for God to go against God's word, this is what needs to be set into motion, into the, the fabric in the, in the life of Israel. But what it also does is not only is God just and needs to punish sin in order for corrupt, unclean people to get in the clean, holy presence of God, but it also settles the tension that's always kind of consistently between justice and mercy, And God expresses his justice by the death and the sacrifice of these animals. And then God shows mercy to the sinner by making a way and by allowing this substitute sacrifice to take place. But as we see, notice the priest still needs to make a sacrifice for himself before he can go into the temple and make these sacrifices on behalf of Israel. Why? Because the system isn't perfect. The priest is temporary, and so therefore, the sacrifice is temporary. See, Israel has the assurance after the Day of Atonement that the sacrifices was made Finally, the sacrifice was pleasing to God, which then symbolizes God's satisfaction with these sacrifices and the acceptance of the sinner. But what's God's goal? At the end of the day, in all of this, it's that unclean, corrupt people would be made clean so that they can experience the fullness of life in God's presence. So access to God starts with the mediator, the priest, and an unstained sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel in order to take corrupt people into holiness. There needs to be a sacrifice before there is worship. Leviticus 16.30 says, For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you, and you shall be clean before the Lord from all your Sins. Sacrifice paves the way to worship. So, first, we need all access to God. And now we see how the, the, the sacrificial system creates and really paves a way for Israel to now be in the presence of God. Though it is temporary and unperfect, God allows this substitute sacrifice to happen so that He can stay in close proximity to his people. And now how do we live life in God's presence? Life with God. See, if God's goal is for Israel to remain close to him, what does this lifestyle look like? And what this life is marked with is by worship and communion. It's by worship and communion. Leviticus 20 says this, and this is where I'm getting this. Uh, Verse 7, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statues and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And anyone who curses his father or mother shall be surely put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is 
upon him. In other words, what God is after in Israel and ultimately in you and in me is transformation and consecration. See, in Leviticus 9, we see a sacrificial system. And then in 16, we see it at work. But in Leviticus 9, what we see is Aaron offers the sin offering, and then the burnt offering, and then the fellowship offering. And what the sin offering is, it's a sacrifice that secures forgiveness when sin is transferred to the animal by placing his hands on it. And then the animal is killed in the place of the sins of man. And then the burnt offering comes up, which is completely consumed and is this beautiful picture of total consecration to God. And then finally, in the fellowship offering, is a sacrifice that celebrates and is a picture of the restored communion between God and the sinner. And so for Israel to fulfill its calling to go and to be a blessing to all the nations, forgiveness and renewed commitment and fellowship with God are essential and sacrifice secures these things. Leviticus 17.11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by life. It's life for life. See, what the blood represents, it represents life, and it is the means of which life then makes atonement. In other words, blood given means life given. Blood given means life given. And it's through the blood that we see God's people given then the ability to stay in God's presence and then to worship him, to be in communion and to worship God. When an animal dies, it's taking the place of the Israelite to give them this way into worship. In other words, giving them the all-access pass into God's presence. Not quite all. Right? Now, for the Israelite, their worship was still not without work and guardrails. They could worship in God's presence, but the Hebrew writer says, and what I love about this is he expounds on what we're talking about today. What the Hebrew writer says about what Jesus did in Hebrews 9, he says this that he entered into the holy place once and for all. Not by the blood of goats or calves, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serving the living God. In other words, these sacrifices of these animals, they were good, but not good enough. They were good, they were temporary, but not eternal. See, Jesus is not just another substitute, amen? Amen. He's not just another priest going through the Levitical system of sacrifice. He's the better 
priest and he's the better substitute. And that's why we now today as New covenant believers live in the new covenant. Why? Because the old covenant wasn't quite good enough yet. And so Jesus came to make the eternal, what was temporary, make eternal. And now then launching into this new covenant with God where you and I could have full and free access into God's presence, being sealed by his Holy Spirit because of the blood of the Lamb once and for all. The blood of Jesus accomplishes that same substitution, life for life, but this time perfectly and eternally for all who put their faith in him. See, worshiping freely is what life is meant to be. It's the whole point of this of the Torah is that God would take broken, sinful people and bring him up to the mountain to spend time and be in communion and worship with God because what God created us for was not sin, but to live freely in his presence and to experience all of that and what that means. And the sweet spot of life is found in the fullness of life. It's a new way to be human. be free from guilt and shame, for my conscience to stop playing that song on a repeat of my sins that tells me I'm a failure. But now, because of the new covenant and the eternal sacrifice of Jesus, I with confidence can say to that repeating song and to the enemy, I am clean and made new. It's not because of me, let's just be real. It's because of the blood of the lamb, amen? Because Jesus gave his life to save my life. And it's through his blood that covers me that paves the way for worship. I don't know about you, but that is good news today. It seems like week by week, I come face to face with this reality always in a fresh way. Why? Because the more that we understand grace and the more that we understand what it took to get us here, the more we see our sin for what it is at face value. And the more that grace, not to be punny at all, that grace becomes more amazing. See, worship was at the core of Israel's identity and at the core of their experience in the easy times and in the hard times. And this is what we're called to, given the ability to do because of the sacrifice of Jesus, our eternal lamb and mediator, It's a picture of the new humanity that God's chosen people would worship him free of guilt, free of shame, no longer fighting against sin, but given the power to overcome it by the overcomer. 
And the reason that you and I, I think, get so lost in this book, in Leviticus, is we see all these rules that the Israelites had to keep. But the book of Leviticus is first about the laws, the peop- not, not first about the laws that people need to keep. It's about how we have a relationship with God. And all of these laws and and systems installed into the life of Israel were meant for the mountaintop, which is communion with God, to show how a corrupt, broken people can go from outside to inside. Now, one of my, and we're almost done here, but one of my favorite, one of my theological heroes, Chris Wright, wrote this amazing quote. It's a little long, but I had to share it with you if that's cool. So I'm just going to read it to you. I love what he says. He says, to imagine that living biblically means trying to keep as many ancient rules as possible just because they are in the Bible misses the point of the law in the first place. See, the Old Testament law was not just about rules, but also about relationship with God. Founded on God's grace and redemption and motivated by, um, by the mission of living as the people of God in the world so that the world should come to know the living God. And then he goes on to say, the point is that on one hand, all of these kinds of laws were intended for Israel's society and not directly for us. They are culturally specific and limited. Yet, he says, at the same time, as Paul says, All the laws were written for our instruction and are useful for us. So we should not find ourselves asking, which of these laws do I have to obey and which ones should I ignore? Rather, we should ask, what can I learn from all of these laws about how God wants me to live and how he wants his people and society at large to live? Not what rules do I have to keep, but rather what kind of relationship Do I need to cultivate with God and live out among others? At the peak of the mountain is we find grace. And we find God ushering you and me into the presence of, into his presence by the sacrifice of his son 